I'm just so concerned for our country. Deeply, deeply concerned. On all levels. I mean, the church across America should be at the forefront right now. And we should be leading. The world should be looking to us going, man, we don't agree with you guys, but you must believe what you're saying because, wow, something's going on. And there's been this lack of biblical discipleship that's gone on in the American church for centuries. And now we're reaping the consequences of that disobedience. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh, Father, we come before you and we just simply cry out to you, O oh God. As we yield ourselves to You, would You open us up? I pray that there would not be any hard hearts, nor callousness, nor being stiff-necked and rebellious, but I pray that we would hunger for truth. I pray that we'd hunger for Your righteousness. I pray that We would hunger and thirst and desire with such a tenacity, O God, that all we want is You, is You are the air that we breathe. So Father, we pray that You'd speak. We pray that as You use these next 40 days of prayer that we're launching into tomorrow, God, I pray that You'd use it as a pivotal moment in our church that we can look back on this gathering, coming together in united prayer, united Scripture, and praying for the awakening, praying for the revival, praying for a mighty move of You. And so God, would You do that work? We cry out to You. We hunger for You in a way that we know that when we embrace our rescue, and understand our rescue. Giving our lives to You, O God, is no longer a difficult task. For those that have not truly given their lives to You today, for those that are here but have never given their life to You, they don't understand the rescue. God, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, would You do something? Would You move in a powerful way to Remove the scales and blinders. I want to pray that for those that don't know You truthfully, that You would allow the blind to see, the deaf to hear. i got to pray You'd set the captives free today. And so as we open Your Word, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to You and You alone, my rock and my Redeemer. And so move me out of the way so that we'd just see You, hear You, worship You, honor You, exalt You in all that we do. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. 
And all God's people said, amen. As you're turning your Bible to James chapter 5, looking at verse 16 today with the sermon title, Prayer That Works, a prayer that works. And here's what the Word of God says in James 5, 16, in prayer that works. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let me read that again. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know our theme. Our theme is simply this, all in for God's glory. So the question is, are you all in? Are you really committed? Are you truly committed to Christ? Are you truly committed to God working? Are you truly committed to the bride, the church? Are you committed? It's just too easy to live in partial surrender. Our culture clamors for that. Be partially in. Be partially surrendered. It's okay. If we go by the Bible and the truth of God's Word, that we understand that it clamors for total surrender. So many times, if we're not careful that, you know, we don't want to hurt people's feelings, and we don't want people to leave, and we don't want them to be offended, and so what we unwittingly do is not call them to be all in, we actually help them be all out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be holding that bag when I stand in front of Jesus. I mean, do you really think Jesus is going to look at me and you on that day and go, whoa, wait a minute. You took me way too seriously. What were you thinking? You should have pumped the brakes and backed off on this. No, my fear is many church-going people are going to get there on that day and they never truly understood their rescue. Therefore, they never truly gave their life to Jesus. And he's not going to say, I don't know you. He's going to say, I never knew you. I don't know about you, that frightens me as a pastor to know that we're in a culture of rampant relativism, spiritual laziness at its core, and yet we have this glorious, glorious truth. This life-giving, life-changing truth that only comes to the righteous blood of Jesus. You say, well, how do we get there, preacher? Well, I think James 5.16 gives us some great insight. You see, if you go back to the text from last week as I read it for you that uh, we're not here. That actually was a joke because no one was here. It snowed for you that didn't know that. It was a blizzard. At least for a Florida boy, it was a blizzard. Verse 14 says, in your Bible in front of you, and I pray you have it open with your notes, is anyone among you sick? Question. Let them call for the elders, plural, of the church, and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, just a quick overview 
This is deep, and it could take weeks to explain, but a quick overview. If you follow the context of James, if that's our methodology and our mindset, we see very clearly from James chapter 1, verse 2, to count it all joy when you endure trials. And all through James, you see this theme of suffering and trials and suffering and trials and what's going on. And the question is that we ask out loud, is James pivoting and now talking about a physical sickness? After hours upon hours of study, I don't believe he is. Now, do we pray for those that are sick? We shout a hearty amen. Of course we do. But when you think through that, the key on this is really to look at this thought, and that is this, we all are spiritually weak from time to time when we go through suffering, amen? The enemy pounds our sails, he's just boom, 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 we can't figure it out, we don't know why God's not going our way, it can be very discouraging. And in the midst of that, in that context, we call on the church leaders, the plurality of the elders, the leaders, to come alongside and say, I am struggling. I'm about ready to hit the done button. I can't take this any longer. I need some people around me. And we see what happens when that person humbles themselves. They now receive the prayer of the leaders. The leaders come together. Do you see how the unity of the church begins to blossom? all around someone's pain. Go figure. See, your pain has purpose. Many times, your pain is actually the launching pad for the purpose of your life. And so, as we embrace the pain and don't run from it, we see very clearly of this theme of this power in prayer. They're coming together. There's sin being, yes, confessed in that instance, and we see it very clearly here in one more verse. We're out of the gate right here. Therefore, the word is used in 16 of James 5. In other words, consequently, in light of what was just said in 14 and 15, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Therefore, confess. It's easy to confess your sin, amen? Don't we love doing that? Don't you get up every morning going, I can't wait to confess my sin to somebody. And by the way, this verse and the previous verses, the anointing with oil is not some institution nor um, launch thumbs-up verse to extreme unction. It's not what that's talking about. It's not about last rites. It's not what this is talking about. Where it says you got to pray with one another. That's not saying you go to a, a human priest to do that. It's not what's being referred to here. Literally, there's a confessing one to another. We see that. There's a saying the same thing. You don't sugarcoat it. You don't deny it. You get out of the land called denial. It may be a river in Egypt, but it's a really bad game plan for the Christian life, denial. And you think through that because it's so easy to get in this mode. It's always someone else's fault, blaming everybody else. When God through His Word speaks to me and you and says, hey, I need to look in the mirror, you need to look in the mirror and do a real heart check. Confess. To say the same thing. To acknowledge openly and joyfully and in full agreement. Just think about that for a moment. So, 
whatever you're dealing with today, whatever the struggle, maybe it's a lousy attitude, maybe it's fear, worry, perhaps it's bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, anger that's not righteous, perhaps it's an addiction, on and on we go. Whatever you're struggling with today, the issue in your life is not that person that you're thinking of right now. The issue in your life is there's a spiritual battle going on. I mean, there's a spiritual battle raging. And the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he is destroying homes and marriages and families. He is ripping them apart by the seams. Because we don't understand our rescue. In the American church, we've developed this culture of professional pretenders. And what happens is, when there's a professional pretender mindset, it's all about behavior modification. Let me clean myself up, and I'm not going to cuss, I'm going to church, and I want to look good. And we never get to the root issues. And when you don't get to the root issues, you stay on the merry-go-round going nowhere. And the enemy loves when we ignore the root issues. See, confessing is getting to the root issues. If I grapple with, if I struggle with unforgiveness, what I need to do is I go to God first and say, God, look, here's the deal. Here's the raw, untainted, unvarnished issues in my life, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And I'm going to get really, really open because the enemy loves that when we deal with things in partial reality. He loves it. It's confusing. No one knows what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Now the lines are blurred for everyone. There's more chaos and confusion as we exchange the truth of God for the lie. And here in God's Word, James, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, confess Say the same thing. Yes, here it is. It's, it's ugly. It's despicable. It's gross. Here it is, God. Just take it for what it is. I'm not going to live in denial any longer. I'm going to be in full agreement. I'm going to be even joyful about getting this out and letting the healing begin. And so often what we tend to do as humans is we rationalize and justify, and now they're acceptable sins, which doesn't even make any sense. Contradiction in terms. But he says, confess your sin. Just think about that for a moment. So have you ever been like in in a men's gathering or a ladies' gathering, a student gathering, a Sunday school class, a community group? And, you know, it's so easy. In all these groups, just to go surface level, right? We're in surface level. Hey, how you doing? Great. How's your week? Amazing. Are the Bucks going to win the Super Bowl? Praise Jesus. You know, whatever's going on, right? I mean, you're just kind of, you're doing your deal. You're just kind of surface level, just enjoying life. Life is grand. And what happens is, your life goes nowhere. Because there's no depth. There, there aren't any roots. The first sign of the storm, you'll be blown and tossed to and fro. But what happens, though, when you're in that men's gathering and you get out from under the surface stuff and some brother has the courage to say, hey, I'm struggling with X. You hear a pin drop, don't you? 
And then you got the other nine or so brothers, and they just start leaning in, don't they? Why? Because authenticity is attractional. When we're not authentic, we unwittingly are helping the ship sink. It's all about getting real and going, I'm struggling. I need your prayer. I need some help. Confess. It's risky. I get it. It's hard to be transparent. It's really hard to be vulnerable, especially for dudes. Those two words aren't in our vocabulary. But to be the leaders in our homes that we need to be men, we got to start leading in this to get real, to get honest, to get open, to say, man, I need some help in this area. I need you to come alongside me. I need you to help bear my burdens. I need you to get under me, so to speak, and hold my arms up in the battle. I can't do this alone anymore because you guys know this. Isolation is a tool of the enemy. If he can just get us isolated long enough, we are burnt toast. And that's what he's done here in COVID. It's just revealed how lazy we really are spiritually across America. I love the house church in China. I love the radical movement of David Platt. In April, they're having a gathering from 7 o'clock at night to 1 in the morning where he preaches for four hours. And the other two hours, they pray and sing. How many people will sign up for that? Go to the ball game. Go to kids cheerleading and soccer. And yet the one thing that will really feed our dying, weary souls Snowing outside. Yeah, maybe next week. And we scratch our heads. We just scratch our heads going, why are things a mess? We typically reap what we sow. Confession is so key. What is God asking you to confess today? That's why key number one is so important. Key number one, I want you to write it down in your notes. Confessing our own sins, not someone else's, our own sins to one another. And praying for one another. It's a combo deal, by the way. Are both great drivers towards biblical humility and biblical accountability and biblical unity. Let me say that again. Key number one, confessing our own sins to one another and praying for one another are both great drivers towards biblical humility, biblical accountability, and biblical unity. You could call it getting right with God and then getting right with your brothers and sisters. Again, humility is attractional. There's something about it. When you come across a humble man, a woman, a student, a child, there's just something about it. It pulls you in in a good way. There's that unity, and it's a trait of a true believer. There will be an ongoing humility that's ever-growing in the life that's being sanctified. For those that are prideful, that are arrogant, A, number one, God's opposing you if that's you. B, 
it's a repellent, C, it's going to infect everyone that you're around. Humility does the same thing in the positive light. It's so key that we think through this because Scriptures are so critical that when you read the Scriptures, when you see God's Word, when you see that His Word is truth, and and Jesus said in John 17 in the high priestly prayer, He said, Father, sanctify them by Your truth, not a truth, not what the world's saying, not what Washington's saying. No, He said, sanctify, cleanse, make holy, set them apart by Your truth. Set them apart by your truth. We got so many people. I see this every week. Every week, I see families that are being destroyed by the enemy because they're not walking in truth. If you're not in the word, if you're not in corporate prayer, if you're not confessing sin, if you're not around a believing body on a regular basis, the enemy is going to pick you off. If you sense a desperation in my voice, there is. We're in a desperate time in our country. You just can't continue to go along. Hope this works out. No, we have an opportunity. I see this as a glorious opportunity. We have an opportunity to go live the gospel, to go make a difference, to live on the edge for Jesus, to be like Paul, that I'm determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You say, that's not going to be popular. Of course it's not. In the high priestly prayer, if you read it in John 17, right there it says, they hated me, Jesus says, and they hate them, us, the disciples, the believers. Are you in? Or is the reality you're really out? Well, here's what God's Word says about confessing, the importance of it. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but, I love this, he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Did you catch that? So when we cover up and we say, look, I'm not going to deal with this, I'm going to bury it, well, here's what we learn. The more we manage sin, the more that sin will begin to manage us. And it will begin to have a stranglehold on your life. The Bible says you'll be caught in the cords of sin. I mean, you are caught. You are entangled. Right here, Proverbs says, But he who confesses and forsakes repents. I'm walking in this direction towards sin. I see it for what it is. The blinders have been removed. I understand my rescue. I don't want that any longer. I turn. I do a complete 180, not a 360. I do a 180 and I flee and I run. That's what God has called us to do. I love what Psalm 32 says, 1 through 5. This is David and he sinned. And this is the result. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Now look at verse 3. For when I kept silence, when I did not confess, my bones wasted away. Physical pain in this instance, just not spiritual, but physical pain. 
through groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand, O God, was heavy upon me. Have you ever been there before? Where you're walking in disobedience, you know what you need to do, and God's hand is just heavy upon you. Oh, I pray today, if that's me and you, I pray we'll repent right now. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. Selah, I love that. I acknowledge my sin to you. Just to catch that acknowledged. I confessed. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave. Don't you love this? Isn't this so good? I mean, right now, perhaps the Holy Spirit is just working in your mind and heart at this very moment. And perhaps He's bringing things to mind right now that you and I need to go, you know what? I need to confess that. I need to get this out of here. It is just stirring and wreaking havoc in my life. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. I love 1 John 5, 8 through 9. We often quote just verse 9, but look at 1 John 5, 8 as well. If we say we have no sin, we deceive who, church? Did you catch that? Isn't that interesting? That right there, if you want to know a beautiful definition of sin, there it is. What's going to happen if I live in habitual sin? Well, I'm deceiving someone. Who? Me. Right there it says that if we say we have no sin, we rationalize, we justify, we blame shift, we make excuses, we live in denial. I'm deceiving myself. Hmm. And the truth is not in us. Wow. However, here's the good news. If we do what, church? Confess. If we confess our sins, God, He, through Jesus Christ, is faithful and He's just to forgive, to pardon as far as the east is to the west. And what else does He do? He takes it one step further and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He purifies the one who's humble, the one who says, you know what, I'm struggling in pride. The one who says, you know what, I am really, really bitter. I am bitter at that parent who did X to me all those years ago. I am bitter at that sibling. I am bitter at that coworker. And we hang on to this stuff and we hang on to it and it becomes a self-imposed prison. Today's the day to confess because today's the day to get set free. I was thinking through that thought and it occurred to me through some study and reading that as I began to line up Great Awakening, revival, mighty move of God, and I continued to line these up in my mind. And I asked myself, what are the common denominators that I see here? 
And there are several, but there are two that are non-negotiable. Confession of sin. And a fervent, desperate, I mean a fervent, desperate praying for one another. There's just something that happens the home and the family and the marriage and the church that prays together stays together. It builds a bond. It builds a bridge. It builds unity and true koinonia that you cannot describe. There is something about it. Man, we all want revival. We talk about it. We're going to put it on t-shirts probably at some point. The question is this, who's willing to do the heavy lifting to get there? It's going to take a lot of confession a lot of getting open and honest and going, man, I really screwed up here. I messed this thing up. And man, one person has the courage to do that and say, man, you know what? That was me. I did that. Now another person, here we go. Here goes a work of the Holy Spirit. But if we're not careful, we live as professional pretenders and continue to quench and grieve his work. I mean, think about that. We so often endorse complaining as the me monster wants to get fed, but we resist confessing because we don't want to kill the me monster. Well, what's going to happen in this context from James if we confess, we pray for one another, we encourage one another? It says here, here's the why, that you may be healed. Now again, hear me clearly, this is not some health, wealth, prosperity gospel. It's not what he's talking about. They will use this text. See right there, if you have faith, you're going to get healed. Really? How's that working out for you? No, go back with the context. There's suffering, there's pain, there's spiritual weakness here. We know that when we live in this type of environment where we're hurting and we're discouraged, we know that when we get people around us to pray for us, it begins to lift us up. We know that we confess our sin, it lifts us up. This healing here is referring to a restoration. It's often said that Forgiveness is unconditional, but restoration is conditional. Think through that thought for a moment. It's often said that forgiveness is unconditional, but true restoration by party A and party B, there, there has to be both parties come to the table and say, I'm going to own my sin, I'm going to own my issues. I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to deal with me and no longer focus on you and vice versa. And that's when the restoration begins. You just think through this healing. So often we, again, don't understand what our weapons of warfare really are. I mean, if your family's a mess, let's pretend like your marriage is a mess today. I hope it isn't, but let's say it is. If your marriage is a mess, you're dealing with a spiritual battle. So what are you doing, especially dad, what are you doing to no longer have your marriage a mess? Well, you know, we, we go to church uh, once every two months. Okay, probably not a good start. 
I mean, you just simply peel this thing back and you realize that you're in a spiritual battle, so you've got to fight it with spiritual things. You just can't dull the pain and fill the void and stuff it in there with all the stuff that is for a moment pleasing and it takes the edge off, just, just kind of takes the edge off just for a moment, and then when you're quote-unquote sober again, you're back to square one. Actually, let me rephrase that. You're now back to square two. You're in deeper than you were before. This is the cycle of stupidity that the enemy loves to get us on. You're in a spiritual battle. You're not battling against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle. What are you going to do about it? Well, you have one or two options, and I see this happen over and over. The people, that marriage, either presses further into Jesus or they run away from Him. One of those two. As a pastor, man, you're just, you're pleading with every fiber of your being going, you're just hanging on to ankles going, no, you can't go down this road. You can't push away. This is the time to press into Christ. But spiritual blinders and deception and deceit, there's no healing, there's no restoration. And that's why the key number two, I want you to write this down, a humble person, key number two, a humble person who is willing to get honest, that's key. So the humble person is willing to get honest about their personal indwelling sin through confession and repentance can expect from God's Word to be restored. Now, I'm going to explain this. Key number two, a humble person, number one, who is willing to get honest, number two, about their own not someone else's, their own personal indwelling sin through what? Confession and repentance can expect from God's Word to be restored. You say, how do you know that? Well, we just read it. Right there, you're going to be healed. You're going to be restored. Again, this is not talking about health, wealth, physical healing. This is talking about when I come to Christ, and if you're in pain today, which I would say the majority of our country is in some element of pain and dysfunction, when you come to Christ and you understand your rescue. Like, I can't say this enough. Well, we're not in the mess we are because we understand our rescue. We're in the mess because we have no clue often of our rescue. Well, the guy said, raise a hand, say a prayer, you know, sign a card, do a cartwheel, and you're in. Sounds good to me. And we have no clue what we're signing up for. There isn't any accountability and no wonder the train's off the tracks. We've got to understand the rescue. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card, what I just said, key number two. Don't misquote. I did not say expect to be healed physically. I'm talking about a spiritual restoration. That when we come to Christ and we understand the rescue, that the pain may be there. By the way, do you know this? That sin, as it takes you farther than you ever wanted to go, and will require, as the old saying says, a price far greater than you ever wanted to pay, and it will keep you far longer than you ever wanted to stay. Do you understand this, church? That there are some sins that the consequences go on for a lifetime. Period. Does it mean that you can no longer have joy? Of course not. But in a broken, fallen, depraved world, when we inflict sin upon others, sometimes those consequences last a lifetime, and the same works towards us, that when it's inflicted upon us, the consequences are vast. Some of you are living this today. People in your lives have made bad choices, and now you're trying to clean up their mess. 
And what happens, you get on this cycle and this merry-go-round going nowhere. I'm just so concerned for our country. Deeply, deeply concerned. On all levels. I mean, the church across America should be at the forefront right now. And we should be leading. The world should be looking to us going, man, we don't agree with you guys, but you must believe what you're saying because, wow, something's going on. And there's been this lack of biblical discipleship that's gone on in the American church for centuries. And now we're reaping the consequences of that disobedience. What about this humility? What about this contrition, this repentance? Well, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10. Paul writes here to the church in Corinth. He says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into what church? Repenting. Do you catch this? That there's a grieving that I want to repent. Well, you preach and you plead with people. And you can see the stiff neck, the brazen forehead, the calloused heart. And your heart just breaks. It breaks. It breaks. Oh, I pray we'll be grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces, it's working, it's doing something, a repentance that actually leads to salvation. Do you catch this? See, when you understand your rescue, there's a godly grief. When you understand your sin against the holy God, there's no sauntering into His presence. There is just a, God, will you accept me? There's just a holy awe and reverence. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It's a true fear. It's a contrition. It leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Think about Hebrews with that worldly grief. Think about Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Write those verses down. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. I love this. I love this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, you got the hall of faith, right, in Hebrews 11. Let us, did you catch this? Let us lay aside. Some translations say cast off, throw off every weight and the sin. Did you catch this? Let us cast off every weight. So here's the deal. You today may be in good things, but they're not God things. And the good things can weigh you down. And the good things can keep you from Jesus. And maybe today as the Holy Spirit speaking to your life and my life, maybe right now in your mind's eye you're going, yep, that's a good thing, that's a good thing, but it's not a God thing. God didn't call me to this. He didn't ask me to do this. This is me leading. We're to cast off every weight. I mean, just to heave it, to cast it off, and the sin that does what? Which so easily entangles and snares it closely clings and let us run let us run with what weariness no run with exhaustion no run with 
endurance. I mean, did you catch this? James has been talking all through James about being steadfast. Hey, did you ever consider the prophets, he said? What about Job? Did you consider what's going on in the Old Testament people's lives? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key, looking unto Jesus. There it is. If you want the cliff notes to the mess in your life, there it is. Just look to the King. Understand your rescue. Give all your pain to Him. Watch Him work in your life in a way that you can never hope, dream, or imagine. Who's what? The founder. He's the author. He's the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So how do we weave all this around into the final portion of the verse? The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Just think about that. The prayer, okay? Communication to God, not trying to strong-arm God into our will, but joyfully conforming to His will. That's prayer. The prayer of a righteous. Hmm, how, how do we get there? How do we get to being righteous? Well, let's look at Scripture. Think about this. I mean, just think for a moment, righteous. What is that? Well, it means this being acceptable to God. So, question to me and you today, are you and I acceptable to God on our own? Well, if you understand your rescue, your answer would be a resounding no. My fear is, though, I think there's many people that will say that but actually don't believe it. Say, well, how do you know? Well, you just watch them. They think they are okay on their own. Why? Because they're living their life on their own. I mean, Jesus is somewhere on the fringe. When you get in a jam, hey, quick, got to call my divine butler to get me out of this mess. But I love Jesus. I was six, got baptized, walked an aisle. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few will find it. Broad is the path. Broad. Broad. Many will go in by it, and there's great destruction. Oh, how I fear today across America how many good church-going people are not on the narrow path. They're on the broad path. And my heart breaks. That's why key number three, our last key, is so important. Here's what it says. When you internalize, that's key, when you internalize the deep, spiritual weightiness that your righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. Your prayer life will be powerful and effective. Let me say that again. Key number three, when you internalize the deep spiritual weightiness that your righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ, your prayer life will be powerful and effective. You're probably asking, where do you get that one from? Well, look at the last part of verse 16 of James 5 in the Bible in front of you. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And as we delve into this last and final point, the question hit me this past week. I asked it to myself and I ask you out loud. But what happens when you and I pray? Let me ask it a different way. What do you think happens in the halls of hell when you pray? 
like when you and I wake up in the morning, do you think Satan and his minions go, oh no, oh no, he's awake, we're in trouble. Oh no, she's awake, we're in trouble. Or do you think that when we wake up, when we pray, that Satan and his minions laugh hysterically as our prayers hit the ceiling? See, it all goes back to, do you understand your rescue? You say, how do you get there? Well, in James 5.16, it says this, the prayer of a righteous person. Do you notice it doesn't say the prayer of a self-righteous person? It says the prayer of a righteous person. Philippians 3 says it like this, 9 and 10, and Paul writes, and be found in Him, it's Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. You catch this? The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here it is, I love this, verse 10, that I may know Him. Do you desire today to know Him? Like, is that the call and the plea of your heart today? That I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know Him with such intimacy that I might know Him and what? And the power of His resurrection. And then Paul, he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when he says this, and that I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. What is he talking about? Well, Paul understood. See, on Acts 9, you could say it like this, Paul got saved. Like he didn't raise the hand, say the prayer, do the card, we'll sign the card, get dunked. No, he got radically rocked. His life is no longer his own. I mean, think about it. When you get shipwrecked and beaten and abandoned by friends and you're slandered and you got rocks thrown at you, and that's not a compliment, by the way, how do you press on through that? The only way you press on is that you know the mission, and the mission in your life is so real, it's so glaring in your heart and your mind and your soul that you will not be moved. And that's why he said, and having been found in Christ, not having my own righteousness, Here's what he's saying. I understand my rescue. And then he says these powerful words. He says, look, that I might know Him. There's an intimacy in those original language words that I might know Him, just not intellectually, just not here. Hey, we're going to have also an act of the will, but there's also going to be an emotional response. The three are combined that I want to know Him. I want to know Him you really want to know Him today? Because I want to know the power of His resurrection. We all vote yes on that one. But who wants to really know Him in the fellowship of His sufferings? So the Bible is very clear that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, period. I've been around people, hey, how you doing? Man, life's great. It's going wonderful. Man, it's just amazing. Okay. What's going on in your walk with the Lord? Nothing. That explains your first comment. You can't extrapolate the two. 
I know in the American church they tell you you can. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Can't do it. If you really want to know the power of His resurrection, you have to embrace the fellowship of His suffering. Period. And when you begin to do this, the light bulbs are going to be going off everywhere. Just bing, 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 bing. But until you do that, you'll be on that hamster wheel going nowhere. I love the song, Lord, I need You. Oh, I need You. Every hour I need You. My one defense. My righteousness. Oh God, how I need You. Where sin runs deep. Your grace is more. Where grace is found is where You are. And where You are Lord, I am free. The shackles are off. Holiness is Christ in me. Do you see how this works? It's all about the rescue. And you can't get to the rescue unless you have a heart that says, man, I want to confess. I want to get honest and open and real. No more gimmicks, no more games, no more charades. Man, I'm going to get real and open. I want my family to be healed. I want my business, my ball team, my church, I want them to be healed. No more business as usual. I want to see God work. And I just wonder how many people really echo that sentiment across our country. And that's why the takeaway question is pretty simple. It's just simply this, is my prayer life working? Is my prayer life working? Not in a pragmatic sense. No, that's, you've missed the whole point. Is it working in a spiritual, effective sense? You know, Black could be said it like this. I love his quote. Simply knowing about the truths of God does not mean they have become part of your life. Hmm. I would tweak his thought just a bit. Simply knowing about the truths of God does not mean that His truth rules and governs your life. Man, I know about Jesus. Great. Does He own you? Now, wait a minute, chief. But that's what Scripture commands. Not to create church attenders. Not to create false converts. Not to create backsliders. Fully devoted followers that are all in for His glory. And that's why the action step is so important. Here it is. Write it down. I will strive daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's an assumption. That's true. Can't do it on our own. To do what? Confess my sin? Repent from my sin? Pray for others as I look away from myself or self? And seek to abide in the righteousness of Christ? I mean, think about how full a day this is going to be for you. I will strive daily to confess my sin, repent from my sin, pray for others as I look away from myself and seek to abide in the righteousness of Christ. Can you imagine if me and you, everyone in the room today is doing this all week long next week? Can you imagine what's going to happen next Sunday morning? Woo, watch out. I know I'll be here. Can you imagine what would happen? But if you don't understand your rescue, it's just going to be another week of floating along, casual Christianity, 
Oh, I pray. I pray we repent. I'm calling on the American church to repent. The spiritual crisis we're in can really be solved in two ways. Step number one, just truthfully assess where your life is, your family, your business, your ball team, your church. Where are they spiritually? Truthfully, where are they? That's step one. And then when you truthfully look at that and are honest and open, and now you can go on to step number two and say, look, and we're going to repent from this and begin to make disciples because that's the issue. We, we've gotten away from this making disciples, this real, fully devoted followers of Jesus. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. I get it. But we're called to do it. And that's why in conclusion, D.L. Moody said it like this. What makes the dead see dead? Because... It is all the time receiving, never giving out anything. Why is it, he says, that so many Christians are cold? Because they are all the time receiving, never giving out anything. Father, we come before You, and I pray we confess right now. I pray we just begin to confess all over this room. Turn and repent. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? That you may be restored. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working, it's doing something. It's producing. Oh, Father, I pray today if you are hearing God's voice, if you're hearing the Holy Spirit right now, don't rebel. Don't rebel any longer. Run into the arms of the Savior. He's waiting for you. Don't rebel. Don't stiffen your neck. Oh God, I pray, would you do the work? Would you do it now? You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.